You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 184. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckmann. See ya! Hey, son, hey, son, Andras. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, it's always always good to be back. Yeah. But it's so awful not to be able to record occasionally and uh without telling too much details to our listeners. I think we have to say that scheduling this one was a bit of a nightmare as well. Yes, it was. <laughs> I don't know why it's getting more and more complicated, but uh, I I remember I, I've I've been doing the same thing for years. I'm in the same kind of job, and oh. uh, th- there were times when I could even do the the editing on the go. But now it seems more and more impossible for me to to even cope with the uh, scheduling. So uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it is. It on. is tough. As we comment on almost every week, uh, it's a little bit hit and miss who gets to be on the show. <laughs> so we're missing Jelena today, of course. Uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, she will make her return very shortly, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so it's just Andras and me today. So um, how have you been? Very well, thank you very much. Very well. I'm doing a bit of uh, fixing on the house. I've been painting uh, like. 10 or 12 windows and also not just painting them but also repairing them because they have been a little bit old and uh, needed some fixing up but so i'm doing that but you 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 said you're painting the windows but are they still gonna be (laughs) see-through i'm not actually (laughs) painting the glass (laughs) Ah, okay (laughs) if so it would actually be much easier than you could just splash paint all over the thing now you have to be very careful and go around (laughs) the neat not in the little nooks and uh it's um, difficult, but um, fun now that I'm almost finished. Feels mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. 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 Th- those, are, those are the things that I, that I actually miss doing. Yeah. Yeah. Can I come over and help? Too late now, my friend. I've done it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome over anyway. We I can <laughs> we can have a little party. That that's fine. Okay. At some point, we, we're going to have to do it. We we are going to be partying very soon. By yes. the way, right? Yeah, we I'm will. Really looking forward to that. We'll see that. I, I'm a bit of a snorer, as you so you sh- should be warned. Oh, me too. Um, so oh, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll snore. So gonna... like I'm, I think I mentioned it last week as well. We will actually share a room in Ghent during the European Skeptics Congress, which is just. What is it? Ten days from now, or even not? Not even that. So uh, it's no, getting closer. No, no, no. It's like eight days or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So uh, it's something something that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to make a bit of a snoring competition out of it, I think. Yeah, and record uh, it, and we will release a full episode of the two of us just snoring. Uh, it, only for patrons, that is. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I could do that very easily, because uh, my, <laughs> my smart alarm does record whenever I do snore. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, enough of talking about our snorings. Um. Yeah, let's get a bit serious here. I I would like to revisit one uh, item from last week, actually. I talked about measles and I made this spreadsheet where you can see every country and how in European region, Mm -hmm. uh, how many measles cases there were last year and the first six months this year. And uh, there was one thing I should have commented on because there's something that doesn't look right. The numbers for Serbia. 
doesn't make sense. And Serbia is an important country when it comes to measles. And this shows as well that we there are underreporting of the numbers. Uh, so we the, the numbers we can present are absolute minimum numbers. Mm-hmm. In 2018 in Serbia, they reported over 5,000 cases. That translates to 650 cases per million inhabitants, and that's the highest in Europe. So that's even worse than Ukraine. But since it's a smaller country, uh, you don't get those uh, outrageous numbers as, as in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But the strange thing is that for the first six months of this year, there's only 14 cases reported in Serbia. And that can't be right. That must be wrong because they cannot possibly have turned things around that quickly. Uh, if Well, if they have, they deserve the Nobel Prize in medicine because they, they have a low vaccination rate and you don't come down from 5,000 cases to almost nothing just like that. So we can safely say that you we need to add at least a couple of thousand cases on the numbers just for Serbia. And I, I think that the same situation is for other countries as well, which is why I don't rely on just one source. When I compiled this table, I picked from different sources, WHO, from uh, the ECDC, the European Center for Disease Control, and some other sources as well, just to make sure that they are accurate as possible. But Serbia is definitely wrong there, and we'll see if we can get better numbers for them in the future. I congratulate you on this uh, very healthy sceptical attitude towards Mm -hmm. using sources. (laughs) Yes, I mean, we should practice what we preach, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those numbers are really, really disturbing. I mean, yes. um, even if the different sources show uh, somewhat different numbers, the overall picture is still very, very, very disturbing. Yes, absolutely. But uh, it's not only measles, I'm afraid. Um, have I told you that um, the serologic tests uh, came out, uh, the results came out about my uh, possible exposure to uh, dengue fever? No, did you get the reply? Yes, and yeah. turns out that I did not contract dengue. Good uh, or chikungunya for for that matter, which is which is a very similar one, but um, uh, as far as I know, it's somewhat less dangerous. However, that means that because of the symptoms that really were typical to to either chikungunya or dengue were caused by something else, and I have no freaking idea of what I did contract. Um, <laughs> so, maybe I should look for another roommate in Ghent. Uh, maybe I don't want to get some very strange disease that you can't even diagnose. I'm not going to get that close to you, I promise. <laughs> uh, however, why I wanted to mention this is uh, because this is another threat. So dengue, and uh, it, I, I know this only thanks to my um, my very healthy habit of uh, checking outbreaknews.com <laughs> on yes. a regular basis. Yes. And there are more and more articles about uh, dengue and dengue numbers. And the problem is that with the global warming, of course, dengue is spread by mosquitoes. Mm. And as mosquitoes are getting to places in large numbers where they previously haven't been present, obviously the problem starts to grow very, very big. And there are countries in Southeast Asia where there have been more than 100,000 cases with death, the death toll being in the hundreds or even the thousands. Wow. Yeah. With the, 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 the climate change, 
it's becoming a really growing issue. So after a while, so my, my initial attitude was, if I had contracted Dengue, that means that I should probably think twice before I go to those places where that infection is very prevalent. However, after a while, I would not be able to exist anywhere without the possibility of being exposed. That is really, really concerning. I mean, not from my perspective only, but on a global scale. So things like that will be much more of an issue in the future as climate change develops. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that as a very positive note. (laughs) Optimistic one of that. (laughs) (laughs) But now that I mentioned um, Outbreak News, Outbreak News is one of those portals that compile all the data from different sources and they do a pretty good job but it's not only them there are things other things that we follow very closely one of them is retraction watch and occasionally they issue a call for support uh, financial support i mean and now this one the latest one seems pretty pretty desperate because they say that the original grants and funds that they used to have all of them have ended so now they will be struggling to keep that really good work up that they have been doing Mm. in uh, the the last couple of years. So we will post a link on our website along with the show notes. Please consider supporting them if you have the means, if if you have a couple of dollars or euros or anything to spare, please help them out. These efforts are really worthwhile. Yep. Yeah. Support them if you can. Very good. Okay, since Yelena is not here, this week in skepticism will be skipped, and that means that we are jumping right onto Pontus Pokes the Pope. So, will you be poking the Pope again, Pontus? Absolutely. Great. A couple of things today, actually. Uh, first up, in Not Well for Pell news. There's a fresh off the presses, Cardinal Pell's appeal in Australia was rejected on the 20th of August. Okay. So, yeah, that's good news. So, for people who hasn't followed this closely, Cardinal Pell was until a couple of years ago regarded as the third most powerful guy in the Vatican. As a high ranking cardinal, he was, among other things, also responsible for the finances of the Holy See. And as such, he was second only to the Vatican Secretary of State, Pietro Parolin, and Pope Francis himself. For many years, there were allegations of Cardinal Pell covering up abuses back in Australia before he was appointed Cardinal. But in 2015, he got in worse trouble when he was formally accused by one of two surviving former choir boys to have been... well. He was accused of having molested them in the 90s when he served as Archbishop of Melbourne. So he was sentenced to six years in jail earlier this year and his appeal has now been rejected. He does have 28 days to appeal to the High Court of Australia. So it's not entirely over yet, but um, it doesn't look well for him. I'd be interested to see if Pope Francis will defrock him. There was an investigation started in February about this. And if they do that, I believe he will be the highest ranking official within the Catholic Church for for that to happen to, in modern times at least. Mm -hmm. So maybe this story is soon over his. I forget now, but I think he's 77 or something. So six years in jail, he'll be pretty old when he gets out. 
couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Or what do you say, Andras? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> His image in my head is uh, very far from being a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He's someone who deserved to to go to jail. Yeah. No, but I'm actually surprised because I thought I was a bit of a cynic. I'm thinking, okay, the Vatican is going to throw all the money they have at this case and get him the best lawyers, etc., etc. And I didn't think it would come to this. I'm happy that it did because it shouldn't matter who you are. If you if you abuse people, you should be sentenced. It doesn't matter if you are a high-ranking official within the Vatican or, or whoever you are. So it, it's good. Yeah, and, you know, since the Vatican still doesn't seem to be acting on trying to keep these horrific things to children happening, occasionally it ha- it, it is the local archdiocese or the, the lo- local diocese that, that has to tackle the issue. And uh, I know it's not Europe-related, but since I am currently in Quebec in Canada, the Montreal Catholic Church did something very interesting. They mm-hmm. forbade priests from being alone with children. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah, and That's I think it, I think it is an interesting step. But I think this is one of those rare examples of doing something that may prevent these horrific things happening from happening. But it's pretty amazing that even the Catholic Church has decided that. No, our priests are so dangerous to children, we will not <laughs> let them near them. So what does that say about the whole organization? That's crazy. But yeah. good. I mean, they need to do something, because obviously it's things happening. But maybe they should... I don't know what they're supposed to do about this. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, so um, something has to be done. If this is one thing that we can do, why not do it? Yeah. All right, uh, but, but I have more on the Pope because mm-hmm. uh, the Catholic Church is not just the pedophiles. <laughs> so a little bit of background. The civil war in Syria started in 2011 and is still ongoing. It's currently the second deadliest of the 21st century of civil wars after the Second Congo War, which ended in 2003. And that's according to Encyclopedia Britannica. The sufferings and hardship there, of course, have been and still are terrible. And even if, and even in the best of cases, I'm sure that it will take decades before things can go back to anything approaching normal there, if it ever will. So the Pope has now realized that he wants to help. He has to do something, and that's, that's nice of him. So for the 15th of August last week, which was the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, he decided what he should do. Now, of course, he could have sent humanitarian help, food, or even money, I guess, remembering that the Vatican has more money than they can count. That would be a good thing. Or maybe they should try to help the millions of people that are living in refugee camps uh, or are displaced in other ways, inside or outside Syria. But in the end, he decided that the best help for Syria, and remember, Syria is a country that is predominantly Islamic, with uh, only 2% of the population being Catholics, the best thing he could think of was to send 6,000 rosaries that he had personally blessed himself. So, if, <laughs> so you know, these little... Uh, I don't know if you use them as bracelets, but you use them as to keep track of how many Hail Marys you've prayed, etc., etc. 
So if my math is correct, <laughs> a hail mary, a hail mary counter. Like... Yeah, that's what it is. That's what they really need in Syria, <laughs> a Muslim country. But if my math is correct, now for each sixty-seven Catholics in Syria, they have now one blessed rosary that they can share among themselves to ease their pain and to help endure this terrible war. And this is, I want to bring this up because this is in a nutshell why I am opposed to religions. It makes people do totally stupid and useless things instead of the rational things that would actually make a difference. And if I were them, I mean the Syrians, I would send these rosaries right back to Francis with a note to tell him to hide them where the sun doesn't shine. But that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a useless gesture. I think. Mm -hmm. Totally. And they do have money. And speaking of that, they do have money. And I mentioned before in passing that they don't know how much it is. That's not just a fun line to say. They have actually admitted that they cannot keep track of all their assets financially because they are, it's too disorganized and it's too money, too money, too many places where they have different assets. they, they, They don't know. But Francis is aware of this. And eventually, maybe he will know more about how rich his empire is. Because since a couple of weeks ago, the Vatican Bank, or as the official name is, the Institute for the Works of Religion, because why call it a bank? They have new, stat- <laughs> they have new statutes so that they have to replace the internal auditors that they've had before with external auditors. And I guess that's in a hope to get better control of things. And uh, yeah, I guess Francis too is tired of hearing that they cannot tell him now how much money there is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Pontus. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of poking this week, uh, but yeah. uh, I think it's uh, deserved. <laughs> yeah, it is well deserved, yeah, apparently. <laughs> Good. Let's move on to a couple of things that um, have been dominating the skeptical news. Without going into too much detail, I think I will mention just one thing that is Brexit-related. So, mm-hmm. obviously, we are focusing on the UK now. The The UK is one of the leading countries when it comes to scientific pro- progress and, and scientific research. Some of the institutions in the UK are internationally recognized and, and highly acclaimed. There have been a couple of uh, debates about uh, science funding in the UK, the government of the UK does not directly fund a large chunk of uh, the overall research budget. A lot of the funding comes directly from the EU, which mm. doesn't mean that it's that the net amount that the UK pays in will be reflected directly in how much they get back as research funding. But the EU has a very large proportion of their overall budget allocated to scientific research. And this has been very convenient for the UK because the government had to pay in a, a lot of money. <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've seen large numbers on sides of buses uh, yeah. about how much 
<laughs> to the UK as a as a general contribution, but uh, they did not have to focus on directly funding research in their own country. So I'm not going into too much detail about this. I know exactly that I'm making a gen- generalizations that will render whatever I'm saying not very accurate. But I'm talking about the general idea that a general problem. But the other one that some attention has re- recently been drawn to by four different authors who came up with the correspondence on the, the, the pages of nature, they mentioned the problem being researcher mobility, which, as they put it, underpins scientific excellence. And I think we all agree with that. So scientists tend to be very mobile when it comes to different opportunities. They follow where the opportunity is going on and continuing their own field of research. However, if Brexit happens, and especially a no-deal scenario, this whole system within the UK is expected to collapse. Hmm. Now, what Boris freaking Johnson, the UK's Donald Trump, who (laughs) is the current prime minister, came up with a brilliant idea of how to tackle that. Yeah, of course. His brilliant idea is a fast-track registration for brilliant scientists and uh, those who excel on their own fields about coming into the UK to work as scientists. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that relate to the general idea of uh, not allowing any kind of mobility and free movement of labor across the EU? It doesn't make sense. Whenever he speaks, there is something, something really wrong about uh, mm. whatever he puts out. So it will be a bit more complicated than that. That's the bottom line of what I'm trying to say here. A, a no-deal Brexit will be devastating to the scientific community as well. And Boris Johnson's overall simplified, oversimplified idea of how to tackle the issue is just ridiculous. So yeah. it's a bit yeah. more complicated than he wants us to believe it is. Yeah. You you said before that the EU has been very convenient, was the word you used, for UK for a long time. And um, yeah, there's no doubt that a, a no-deal Brexit will be extremely inconvenient for any uh, field, yeah, s- science and anything else. Yeah. I'll just say one political thing <laughs> here. That, that is that EU is about cooperation among different countries, to cooperate as much as possible and exchange ideas, goods, people, and that's for everyone's benefit. To isolate yourself, like a no-deal Brexit would be, has never been a good way to solve a problem. Yeah, exactly. That's never worked. Never. Everything that you just listed about the benefits of being a part of a community like the EU is basically how science operates. It's all about international collaboration. It's all about a mutual understanding of problems and trying to solve them together and as a community. So this this is basically how science works. So this is a clear example of why EU as a framework for scientific progress in the future is the best framework there is. Yeah. So, eh. okay. All right. Enough about Brexit, but I will mention the UK again a little bit. Mm-hmm. Psychic mass seances is something that I at least associate with the UK, uh, mm-hmm. with the likes of Psychic Sally and others. Mm-hmm. And they're going on export as well. 
There is a guy called Terry Evans, who is from the UK, but who has made his career in Sweden for many years, appearing on TV shows like one called A Sense of a Crime and The Unknown. And The Unknown is about things like exorcising ghosts from haunted houses and things like that. So you, you get the picture. He's, he's, he talks to the dead and he pretends he gets replies as well. It's a very classic example of cold reading and and playing on people's sorrow and grief. Susan Gerbic calls them grief vampires, these psychics. And I think that's a very good term. It's a good term in the sense that uh, it expresses very well what it is about. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sorry, just in my mind, a good term. It it was (laughs) twisted towards uh, being being a good thing. Sorry. No, no, no. It's (laughs) not a good thing. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, uh, let's... Talk a little bit about cold reading because you mentioned it quite often and it was a while ago since we defined what it is. But It's basically asking very general questions until you get a hit. And then you pretend that you knew this information all along. Like you can say, who here has lost a grandfather? Of course, every, most people have lost a grandfather. But then uh, somebody says, yes, my grandfather is dead. So then you follow that up with something like, uh, was he a religious man? Or, or whatever, or something else. You ask that. And if the target, uh, the target, I call that the, the victim of this, the, the target that you ask, says, yes, you can count that as, as a hit. Yes, he was a very religious man. But if they, on the other hand, say no, you just reply, no, that's what I thought. He wasn't really, was he? Etc. Et <laughs> so that's how cold reading works. And it can be very persuasive if you don't look out for it. It, it can seem like they know what they're talking about. Of course mm-hmm. they don't. They're mm-hmm. just making shit up. Anyway, so it is back to the term grief vampires. Why it's appropriate to call them that is that you keep people from moving on, from letting go and accepting the loss of a loved one. I've seen participants on the TV show The Unknown with Terry Evans where participants have are breaking down and been totally destroyed because he, Terry Evans has said that, in one case he said, your grandma is very angry with you because, and I can't remember what the reason was, but th- that was the message. And this person who got that message totally broke down because it was now too late to repair that relationship with the grandmother. And it's terrible. It's not harmless at all. So it, it's, it's outrageous. Anyway, now Terry Evans is on tour again in Sweden with fully booked sessions. And in one instance, at least, he has also been able to rent a public school. And the commune there agreed to to let him use it. And that's just, that makes me really, really mad. Because that gives it a sort of legitimacy which it does not deserve at all. Uh, People should not let Terry Evans have these seances anywhere, but especially it shouldn't be held in public uh, buildings. Mm -hmm. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just wanted that off my chest. Look out for Terry Evans. He is a grief vampire and he's currently touring Sweden and it's a a bad thing. Hey, how how cool would it be to see that um, he has to perform for empty rooms, basically? Yeah, but they are selling out, so he's not. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah. Talking about ridiculous things, one of those is homeopathy, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, there, there have been a couple of uh, attempts to, to fight homeopathy on an EU level. And uh, recently, the Spanish government has initiated uh, a really wide outreach when it comes to tackling um, pseudoscience in healthcare. As a step of that, they initiated a change in uh, the regulations regarding the homeopathic medicinal products, because based on the EU Medicines Directive of 2001, they are listed as medicinal products, but the national governments are required to provide a simplified registration procedure mm-hmm. so that uh, they get a special treatment uh, when it comes to registering them. It has to end. Now, someone else jumped on this bandwagon, and I welcome this, obviously because this organization is one of the greatest organizations that deals with um, going against this pseudoscientific approach of homeopathy, and that is Information Netzwerk Homeopathie. That is the, ger- the German organization that uh, spreads information, proper information, as opposed to the misinformation out there. And they, t- they try to educate the public uh, in Germany. So they now joined uh, this uh, international initiative and uh, they addressed um, all MEPs, the members of the European Parliament. And I suggest you all check out... Um, the wording of the letter, because it could be potentially used by everyone as a kind of a template. I do encourage individuals and organizations to join this effort and join this initiative, because the more MEPs are aware of this whole issue, the more it becomes possible for the regulations to change and for homeopathic products to have to face the same kind of difficult registration procedures that every other medicinal product faces. And we all know if they have to live up to the same standards, they're going to fail miserably. Yes. And um, this is this is why we have to campaign for that. And especially because we should not forget that homeopathic associations and manufacturers of homeopathic products have a very strong lobby force within the EU. We don't have that. We don't have the resources to do that. But we can all write letters to our members of the European Parliament. Why don't we do that? Great job, again, uh, Nathalie Grams, Norbert Aust and Christian Lubers, who are the names behind this um, new effort by Information Netzwerk Homeopathie. Yeah, and this uh, template that I have done, it's in, it's in English, so you can... Uh, exactly. Yeah. It's very easy it to used. use. Yeah. The reason why they run this website in English as well, so it's a bilingual website, is because they want a greater outreach and they want to help the international community, which is something that we have to welcome and encourage in the future as well. Fantastic job. I do congratulate you guys and uh, thank you very much for that. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, I have a totally different kind of topic now, a little bit almost funny, I think, but uh, (laughs) still a bit serious. (laughs) And that's in Lithuania, where I came across a quite bizarre service that was sold by someone there. He has installed beehives in the shape of beds or sofas, and then you climb on top of them and you lie on a mattress on top of the beehive. 
And then you lie there listening to the bees buzzing around and below you. And uh, this is a so-called treatment that is supposed to be good for you and to help lowering blood pressure, reducing pain and, and other health benefits. And it's not just the sound or, or to just relax, which is the claimed benefit. Apparently, according to this guy, there is some mumbo-jumbo involving the vibrations from the wings of the bees that penetrates <laughs> your body and have a healing effect. Uh. <sighs> so this is... <laughs> well, I'm not really surprised that people... Well, since people come up with crazy ideas all the time, but I do object when people are selling so-called health treatments without any science whatsoever to back it up. They just claim whatever and nobody says, hey, maybe we should test this first if it works and if it has any plausibility, how can it possibly work? But you, they just go straight to something that they, as a product they can sell. <laughs> but at least to, on the good side, it must be less harmful than so-called bee sting therapy, where you actually make the bees sting you because you believe that the bee poison has some healing property. This is just listening to the vibrations. And of course, if it makes you feel good, go ahead and do that. But don't claim that it will have direct physiological health benefits for your body. That's just blown. <laughs> I, I, I do know about something, though, that, that might have a physiological benefit to your body. And it's produced in Lithuania uh, uh -huh. and has something to do with bees. Really? <laughs> that is called Krupnikas. Which is uh, basically a honey, honey spirit kind of thing. It's it's based on vodka and honey ah. is added. Yes, try that. We know what <laughs> alcohol does. Good, <laughs> mostly bad, but we know what it is anyway. <laughs> yeah, in small quantities, it might be beneficial. Mm, maybe, yeah, or at least uh, please moderate your good. intake. <laughs> yeah, do that instead of this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to things happening in Spain. And a very important thing that our friends at uh, ARP SAPC, one of the Spanish skeptical organizations, is involved with. And that is an important uh, kind of conference that um, is uh, run by the Scientific, Technical and Mathematical uh, Division of the Ministry of Education. They organize together a conference called EduSalud. It's combination of the words education and salud, which, which is health. The basic topic is pseudoscience and health. It will take place on the 19th of October, but why it's very important is because it is basically focusing on helping teachers uh, of primary and secondary education and uh, try to educate them into dealing with topics that, that circulate in the public sphere, including how to differentiate uh, science between science and pseudoscience and how to understand scientific theories and different concepts, how to encourage critical thinking in children and how to go into intellectual debates regarding pseudoscientific issues. So it's more than useful. I think it's amazing. It's a very important initiative. And there are 70 places available. The registration is open now. So whoever lives in Spain, if you haven't 
heard about this yet, then please go on and register. And uh, we will share the link where you can find the registration or you can start the registration process. Absolutely. Good. Okay. We talk about um, measles a lot, of course, and vaccination is the key to get rid of this problem or to fight this problem, I should say. Sweden has a new idea, or the Swedish government has a new idea on this now. Uh, They are considering creating a national digital vaccination register to make sure that we really keep track of vaccination rates and to make sure that people can actually check whether they have been vaccinated or not. And I think that's a good idea. I'm not sure what vaccinations I've had, especially when I was a kid, because, well, how could I remember? And and most parents don't even remember. And I'm not even sure what vaccinations my kids have had. I just know that we've said yes to everything that was recommended. But uh, recommendations change as well. And so how can you keep track? Uh, Anyway, the the government has now ordered a fast investigation to see how this can be accomplished. Because, of course, there are some practical problems like getting hold of all history from many different caregivers. And also there may be integrity issues, of course, uh, that has to be solved and, and handled. But keeping track of your vaccinations on small yellow cards, like in the past, really seems like Stone Age to me. Uh, so it's really time for something more efficient and re- reliable to happen. So we'll see how this goes and hopefully other countries will do similar things to get a better grip on on the vaccinations and make sure that you can also then, if you have this, you can also send reminders to people who have forgotten or skipped vaccinations and and there's a lot of benefits i can see coming out of this if you can Mm -hmm. solve the integrity problems of course Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it should be widespread actually yeah 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 yeah. it's it's it would be such a useful tool of of tracking everything yeah Uh, and compare it to the disease information so how the how the disease spreads and how the vaccination is so this is what i i have always thought is behind the overall numbers of how many people are vaccinated but then it's what kind of statistics that we yeah. work with when it comes yeah. to assessing what proportion of the society has been vaccinated against something no today it's it's very difficult to find out and you can see that on that organizations like the who mm-hmm. they don't compile it all the time they compile mm-hmm. those numbers from case to case maybe every second year or something they make an analysis and that analysis is based on assumptions and interviews and nah. extrapolations and that it's not solid data exactly and we need solid data to know what we're up against yeah, yeah. okay great job keep doing that please yeah and and uh, i think that was all of the news items that that we wanted to cover for this week so mm-hmm. why don't we move on i hope you've got oh someone that has been really wrong or really right Yeah, well, we'll see. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We have talked about experimental and unproven cancer cures before on the show, of course. Very often in connection with Mexican clinics and German private hospitals with dubious credentials. This time I want to talk about a Finnish private hospital called Dokrates in Helsinki who is charging people from Finland and from abroad to come and get treatments for people who don't trust the public systems. 
Now, the treatment they provide is actually not totally fake. It sounds even plausible. It involves standard radiation and approved chemo drugs, but then they add intravenous injections of lutetium, a radioactive element, and they do this to boost the effect. The problem is that they haven't presented any randomized studies of proof that it actually works and that it is safe. Of course, Mm. they do have testimonials from patients who have become well. Well, all of these kinds of clinics do have that. But as we know, the dead leave no testimonials. You only hear from the guys that it went well for. And people sometimes get well from cancer spontaneously. And how can we tell the difference? How can we know if it's the lutetium or, or what it is? that made them well if we don't have a big randomized uh, controlled study or rather several of those. You have to do that. Proper testing and studies is essential. And also another thing is that since they are outside of the insurance system, people have to finance this on their own. And the people who survive the treatments walk away with huge debts. So uh, I don't like this. I don't think that's the way to go. They may be on to something, but please, 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 you have to test it and prove that it works before you start selling a health service. You have to do that. Yeah, it's a good general principle. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least, yeah. Yeah, proper medicine follows that principle, but uh, Yeah. yeah. Another thing is, of course, I I learned about this from uh, newspaper articles. And Mm. newspaper articles are not critical thinkers or, well, they may be, but they don't use that in when they write their articles. They want the human angle. So Mm. what they are talking about is this person here who did get well and it was fantastic that he was saved. And of course it is. And uh, now the problem is that the Swedish insurance system will not reimburse him for all the costs that he had involved in this. So isn't that terrible? Nah, that's not the terrible part here. The terrible part there is that clinics are allowed to sell things that they haven't proved that they work. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy for this person in this article that got well, but we don't know if that person got well from the treatment or it was just he was just lucky because mm-hmm. that happens as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, for charging patients for a treatment that hasn't been proven or properly tested, the Docratis private hospital gets today's prize for being really wrong. And also, why are the Finnish authorities allowing this to go on? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mexico, I understand. So, oh, well, I don't understand it, but I'm used to the fact that in Mexico they allow that they don't have the controls and they don't seem to care. But Finland should know better, I think. But I, I think how this works is uh, that they probably they are probably not aware of the different gaps, or they don't know there must be different gaps in the fabric of their legal environment that these so-called providers can actually exploit. As long as they are not aware, I mean, the authorities are not aware that this is happening, there is nothing that they would possibly do about it. So uh, the responsibility of everyone who's aware that this is going on is to report it. Yes. 
That's true. Because then you can draw the authorities' attention to the wrongdoings of, of, of such a clinic. So they will possibly try to do something about it. Who knows? There might not be any gaps in the legal environment that allow for them to be on the legal side. So they might be completely illegal in what they're doing. But until they get caught, they will continue doing it. Yeah. So. Yep, that was it. From me. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And I believe that concludes our show. I'm really excited to say that uh, probably the next time we talk, it will be in person. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or at least it could be. Could I'm, be. I'm not sure about that. But um, before we go on to that, I'd like to close the show with a quote. I know that Yelena's not here and usually she is the one doing the quotes, but I found a, um, a very good one and it has been paraphrased in many different ways by others as well. I, I do like his style and um, his attitude and the fact that he is well trained in science and that is Dara O'Brien. You're probably aware of, uh, of him and our listeners yes. might know him. Uh, he's an Irish comedian and television presenter. He said the following... Science knows it doesn't know everything. Otherwise, it'd stop. But just because science doesn't know everything doesn't mean you can fill in the gaps with whatever fairy tale most appeals to you. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Also, just because science doesn't know everything, it doesn't mean that science knows nothing. Exactly. That's very often what you hear as well. Yeah. Well, science didn't know this, so science knows nothing. No. Science knows a lot of things, but there will always be some little gaps to fill. That's why we keep on doing science. Don't fill them with fairy tales. Fill them with new science. That, that's right. So and I agree. It's happening. In, in the field of science, it is what's happening. They fill it, sure. the gaps up with new science. And I admire, admire that about science in general. So... With that very positive note, I'd like to thank you for joining me, or rather allowing me to join you again, (laughs) or I don't know. It was a pleasure to have you, Andras. (laughs) (laughs) It always is a pleasure to be on the show together. And uh, I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe
psychic uh, appearing um char no unproven cancer <laughs> I can probably only do this if I have a glass of wine but it's too early in the day anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay. 